Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. And if you have a Bible today, you can go ahead and grab it. And uh, we're going to be in the New Testament book of Acts. Acts chapter number 13 is where we're going to be. And next week, we've talked a lot about it, our Fall Fest. We've been praying, we've been planning, and uh, we've been working to get the message out. And I just want to encourage you to labor with us in prayer this week and uh, maybe set a reminder every day on your phone to uh, pray and ask God to do the miraculous in our midst. And uh, we're looking forward so much to uh, uh, what God is going to do. And we believe by faith that he's going to show up and do something incredible. And uh, there's a lot of different ways that you can get involved this week to kind of spread the word. You can post on social media. Uh, you can send some text messages. You can uh, uh, do all kinds of different things. But I want to encourage you to uh, be a bringer. Next week, be a bringer. Uh, do your best to have somebody with you. Bring someone along with you. Send an invite. Meet up for lunch later that day. Invite them over to your home and uh, be a bringer next week. And, and Katie and I, we're praying. Uh, several of our uh, neighbors and friends that we're uh, praying are going to come with us next week. And, and we're believing that, that God's going to do something special. So I want to encourage you to uh, be inviting this week and then be a bringer next week. And uh, looking forward to that. We're going to start a new sermon series next week that we're going to call Less Than Perfect. Anybody perfect in here? Anybody? Okay. Yep. And uh, we're going to learn next week how God can use us in spite of us, in spite of our shortcomings, how God can use us to accomplish his work. And uh, today we're going to finish uh, this series that we've been in the last couple of weeks called What Are We Doing Here? What are we doing here? Uh, in life, why are we created? What's our purpose? Why are we here? And specifically, what's the purpose of the church? Why do we gather? Uh, what's this all about? Is it just kind of a fun social gathering? Or really, what are we doing here? We've talked about the glorification of God as our primary purpose in life, to give God glory. And uh, we've talked about the edification of the saints last week, how we are to build up one another, and that is our calling, and that is our purpose. And today we're going to talk about the third purpose that we have as a church, and that is evangelization. That is getting the good news of the gospel out into our community, and uh, that's why we're here as a church. And uh, the title of my message today is Ready, Sent, Go. We're going to talk about how God has sent us into our community. If you have a Bible, Acts chapter 13 is where we're going to be. If you have a Bible, would you say amen? If you don't have a Bible... We'll have one on these screens here for most of the verses today. Acts chapter 13, the Bible says this in verse number one. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord, and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Everybody say sent. They sent them away. Verse number four. So they, being sent, 
being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John to their minister. And when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was of the which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who, was, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O fool of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Paul had a way sometimes about getting a little intense. You know, he just kind of went right to it. Verse number 11, And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon me, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, he believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this opportunity to worship together today. And uh, Lord, I pray that for the next few minutes we'll be able to focus on your word today. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me. God, I pray that I would be filled with your spirit, that you would give me the words to say that can sharpen us today and that can encourage us and challenge us. God, I pray that we would understand this third primary purpose that we have as a church to reach our community with the gospel. Lord, I pray that it's a calling that uh, we would take personally. God, I pray that it's an assignment that we would be faithful to carry out. And uh, we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said. Have you ever had to be the bearer of bad news? Can I see your hands? Bearer of bad news? I remember when I was in college, I had a job working for a legal uh, company, and I had several different responsibilities, one of which was to go out into the community, into different hospitals, and I would scan uh, medical records for this legal company, and, and uh, sometimes I would go to different law firms, and I would record video depositions with the, law, uh, with the lawyers, and I would kind of do that. And uh, probably the most interesting part of my job, though, was I was sometimes sent out into the city to serve papers to people that were about to be sued. And uh, it was not always a fun job, and as you can imagine they were not always excited to see me and I would go out to hand them this news this bad news that hey you're about to be sued and and a lot of times I would show up and when they found out what I was there for they would literally run away now I know that my physique is sometimes intimidating but for to have people run away I mean that's pretty impressive right and uh, sometimes they would see me and they would just run the opposite direction I went to uh, a medical office one time and and I said, hey, is so-and-so here? And, and uh, she said, no, he's not here. And right when she said that, I saw him walk right behind her. And uh, then he ran out the back door. And uh, time and time again, I was sent out into the city to be the bearer of bad news. And that was not always fun. That was not always easy. But I believe today for the church... For the church, the exact opposite is true, that we've been sent out into our community to be the bearer of the good news, to be the bearer of the greatest news in the history of humanity, and that is the gospel message that Jesus came to save and that we can have a relationship with God because of the mediating work of Jesus. Is anybody thankful today that... Because of what Jesus did, we can have a relationship with God. That's, that's the news that we've been sent out into our community uh, to deliver. We have, been, we have been sent. Now, the Bible says this in John chapter 20, verse number 21. Jesus made this very clear when he said, uh, Jesus said unto them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me. Everybody say sent. Even so, send I you. 
And so just as God the Father sent Jesus to seek and to save that which is lost, we also have been commissioned. We also have been sent into our community to deliver this gospel message. And so wherever God has you in life, I believe this morning that you've been sent to that location. Hey, whatever city you live in, I believe that you've been sent to that city. Whatever neighborhood you live in, I believe that you've been sent to that neighborhood. Whatever job you have, you've been sent to that job. You don't have that job by accident. You have it by an appointment to reach people with the life given giving and life-changing message of Jesus. We have been sent out into our city. And so we've been talking about what's the purpose of the church and what are we really doing here? And we've talked about the first week, the glorification of God. Now that's upward. Everything we do is for God's glory. That's upward. Last week, we talked about edification. That's inward. That's building up the body of Christ. And this week, as we talk about being sent and evangelizing our community, that is outward. And so our purpose, what we're doing here is upward. It's inward. It's outward, all really for the glory of God. Mark 16, 15 says this, and he said unto them, go. Everybody say go. Go, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so we've been, we've been assigned to, to go. Uh, I love what John 1, 6, and 7 says. There was a man sent from God. There was a man sent from God. That is God's method of uh, spreading the truth of the gospel, to use men and women uh, of faith to, to be the instruments in which we uh, share the gospel with other people. God could have used whatever means he wanted to share the gospel. He could have used angels. He could have used all kinds of things, but he's chosen to use us, humans. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. And so uh, it is our responsibility to be a witness of the light of Jesus and the light of the gospel. Now, uh, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he explained this uh, very clearly to the church at Corinth. When he talked about in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, he said this, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Now, I just want to pause right there. That is great news. That is gospel. The fact that God has reconciled us, he has restored that broken relationship because, because of our sin, we have a broken relationship with God and we do not have access to God, but God has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And that is great news that we now have access to God and we have a restored relationship with God because of Jesus Christ. And so we are reconciled to him by Jesus Christ. Now watch this. And he has given to us this ministry of reconciliation. And so this good news of a restored relationship with God, this good news of reconciliation that we can have access to God, we've been given this, this ministry of reconciliation to it that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us, committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Daniel, would you come up here for just a second? He has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then it says, watch this, we are ambassadors. Everybody say ambassadors. ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. And so this is what Paul is saying. Hey, the good news of the gospel, the fact that we've been reconciled to God through the mediating work of Jesus Christ, this is great news. And not only can you receive this great news, but now it's your responsibility to uh, be ambassadors for me and to go out and to represent this message. And so uh, it's football season, so I thought I'd uh, kind of illustrate it this way. Daniel, kind of come over here for a second. This ball's kind of flat. I think it's Tom Brady's ball or something like that. Come on. <laughs> and uh, thank you. Thank you. 
And so this verse says that God has given to us, in fact, it says he's committed to us, he's entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. Is everyone following with me so far? We've been given this ministry, and so we've been given this ministry, and it's our job to carry out our calling and to be sent into our community and to deliver this message. But a lot of times what happens is we've been given this ministry, but because of fear, we drop the ball. We've been given this ministry, run with it, go into your community, but because of our schedule and because it might be a little bit awkward, we drop the ball. Pass me that ball, Sean. Come on. There you go. Give it up for Sean. Wow, what a throw. We've been given this ministry. What I want to encourage you today is we cannot afford to drop the ball. This is life and death. This is the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. And we have been given this ministry of reconciliation to go into our community and deliver the gospel message, but we cannot afford to drop the ball. And that is what Paul is communicating to the church, and that's the example we're going to see this morning in Acts chapter 13. Let's give it up for Daniel. One pastor recently said this in L.A. He said, we somehow think that the church is here for us, We forget that we are the church and we're here for the world. And so this morning we come to Acts chapter number 13 and we're going to consider our assignment to evangelize the world. We're going to consider this assignment that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We've got to run with it. We've got to be faithful to deliver this message. And we come to Acts 13 and we come to uh, this famous uh, church at Antioch. And this was uh, really an amazing church that really turned the world upside down. And they show us an example of what it looks like to be sent out into uh, the city. This is really uh, the first missionary church, the first church that sent out missionaries to go and to spread the gospel. Now, uh, the city of Antioch at this time was the third largest city in the world. You had uh, Rome and then Alexandria and then Antioch. And so it was a very uh, a large city. It was a very influential city and it was a very uh, wicked city. It was known for sexual immorality and all kinds of different things there at Antioch. Now, a lot of times you'll hear preachers say that a city uh, was wicked and they were doing all kinds of wrong things. Well, this is very true of Antioch. In fact, uh, in fact, even the non-Christians thought Antioch was corrupt. E- even the non-Christians thought Antioch was getting out of control, that, that, this, that this city was just wild. Uh, the Roman satirist Juvenal, he criticized uh, the moral pollution of Rome, saying that the Orontes River flowing uh, uh, out of uh, Antioch was, was so bad that the sewage went all the way into the Tiber River, which was throwing... In, Uh, flowing into Rome. And this is what he was saying, that Antioch was so corrupt that it was polluting Rome 1,300 miles away. He was saying this city is is out of control. But it's here in this corrupt city that God raised up a church to change the world. This is the first church that sent the gospel out unto the Gentiles. And this morning, if you're uh, a Gentile, if you're not a Jew, you can trace your salvation all the way back and be thankful for the church at Antioch because they were the ones that said, you know what, we've got to get this message out. And so they sent missionaries and sent people out uh, to go and to share this message. And so what did the church at Antioch have that we must strive for as a church? What can we learn from this church? How can we be sent out uh, like this church? And how can we learn from their example? And this morning, if you'd like to take notes, I I believe that there are four indicators in this passage of the sent. Four indicators of people who have been sent. Are you ready this morning? Number one, people who are sent, they choose collaboration. They choose collaboration. Now, uh, notice what the Bible says in our text in verse number one. It says this, now we're in that church, 
Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas. Now, uh, the Bible in this verse, in verse number one, is going to explain really the, the team that was there at Antioch. These were the pastors and leaders and the teachers at the church at Antioch, this very influential church where, in fact, Christian, Christians really got that name there at Antioch. They were first called Christians at Antioch. And these were the leaders. And there's five uh, names mentioned. The first one is Barnabas. The name Barnabas means son of encouragement. Uh, Barnabas was an encourager. We know that Barnabas traveled with Saul and encouraged Saul or Paul, and uh, he, he helped him along his missionary journeys. And uh, Barnabas, in, in chapter number four of Acts, he sold his land and gave it to the church. And so we can learn from Barnabas to be an encourager and to sacrifice willingly uh, for the work of the ministry. That was Barnabas. And then we have uh, Simeon that was called uh, Niger. Now, uh, we don't know this for sure, but many people believe that this Simeon is the same Simeon that carried the cross for Jesus at Calvary. And so this man was a man that knew how to identify with the sufferings of Christ. And he knew all about uh, the message of Jesus because he had seen it firsthand. And so we have Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger uh, and Lucius of Cyrene. Now, not much again is known about Lucius, but we know that he's from Cyrene. And if you read about the church plant in Antioch, how this church was started back in Acts chapter number 11, you learned that the men that started the church at Antioch were from Cyrene. And so many believe that Lucius was one of the original church planters and pastors that started the church at Antioch. And so we have Barnabas and Simeon and Lucius, and then we have Menaean. Now, Menaean is such a fascinating character in Scripture and such a fascinating individual because the Bible gives us this little description about his upbringing. It says, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Now, Herod the Tetrarch, there's many different Herods in Scripture and many different Herods in, in, in uh, history. And this particular Herod was Herod Antipas. And if you know anything about Herod Antipas, he was the one responsible for beheading John the Baptist. This was a very uh, a wicked individual. This was a very ungodly man. And the Bible says that Menaean grew up with Herod. Herod the Tetrarch. He did not grow up in a Christian home. He did not grow up in this great environment. In fact, he grew up with a murderer. Herod uh, grew up to be a murderer. Uh, Menaean grew up to be a minister. See, let me just tell you something this morning. Uh, your surroundings can either influence you or you can influence your surroundings. <laughs> And Menaean said, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to be a part of this church at Antioch. And he was such an influential member uh, of this church. And even though he didn't have a Christian upbringing, even though he didn't have the greatest surroundings, he made a difference and God used him for his glory. And I just want to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter if you are rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you are educated or uneducated. It doesn't matter your upbringing, if it was good or bad, if you came from a Christian home or a non-Christian home. God loves you. He values you. He wants to use you for a great purpose for his glory. And so we're beginning to see this team that was collaborating together at Antioch. We have Barnabas, the encourager, Simeon, perhaps the one that carried the cross for Jesus, Lucius, perhaps one of the original church planters at Antioch. We have Menaean who had been brought up with Herod uh, the Tetrarch. And then it says, and Saul. And of course, we know that uh, Saul was trained by the renowned rabbi Gamaliel. He was, he was a very educated individual. He was the great persecutor of the church. Saul uh, hated the church. He hated Christianity. He wanted nothing to do with the people of the way. He wanted nothing to do with people that were preaching Jesus, and so he persecuted them. And then in Acts chapter number 9, on the road to Damascus, God uh, interrupted Saul's schedule, and God showed up and revealed himself, and Jesus encountered Saul's life. And there, uh, Saul had his conversion moment, and Saul, uh, everything changed for him in that moment. He went from being the great persecutor of the church to the great preacher of the church. And so God used him in a dramatic and powerful way. And so what we see here is this. We see a team that came from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life, and God used them collectively for his glory. 
and see if we want to make a difference and if we want to live out our calling of being sent, we have to choose to collaborate together. We have to choose collaboration. See, uh, uh, Simeon didn't say, I don't know about Manan. He grew up with Herod. I don't know if we can trust him. And Barnabas didn't say, I don't know about Saul. He used to kill Christians. Maybe we shouldn't let him in. They said, no, we're going to work together and we're going to strive together for the cause of Jesus Christ. And they chose to collaborate together. And I want to say this. I believe that we can make a difference next week for our fall fest, but we've got to choose to collaborate together. We've got to say it's not that person's job to invite. It's not that person's job to do that. It's no, hey, we're in this together. We're going to assist one another. We're going to choose to collaborate together. See, we're praying for a miracle, but we've got to do it together. We've got to have a parking team that's ready to go. Come on, parking team. Where are you at? We've got to have a, a parking team that's ready to go. We've got to have a guest experience team that's ready to go. Guest experience, best experience, right, Ricky? We've got to have Rock Hill Kids team that are ready to go. We've got to have a sound team ready to go. There we go. We've got to have all of our teams saying, hey, we're going to do this. I'm going to play my part because I see the bigger picture. And I might be behind the scenes, but I know that God sees me. And I'm not doing this for anybody else anyways. I'm doing this for the Lord and for his glory. And so let's choose to collaborate together. I love what the Bible says in Hebrews. Chapter 10, verse number 24 and 25, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, to provoke one another. That means to stir up one another, to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so let me tell you something about sent people. They choose to collaborate. Here's the second indicator that I see of people that are sent. Number two, they are devoted in worship. They are devoted when it comes to worship. Notice what the Bible says in verse number two. And as they ministered to the Lord, and I just feel like we have to pause right there and understand who they were ministering to. It doesn't say they were ministering to the church. It doesn't say they were ministering to the city. It doesn't say they were ministering to some group of people. It says that they were ministering to the Lord. And that brings us back to the first week in this series. What are we doing here? We're here for the glory of God. We serve for the Lord. We worship for the Lord. We give for the Lord. We do what we do for the glory of God. They ministered to the Lord and then they fasted. The Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And we're going to see this example really before they get sent, how they were devoted in worship. And if we're going to be devoted in our worship, there's, there's four uh, qualities that I see uh, uh, here about their devotion in worship. They were first, they were, they were sending. Everybody say sending. sending. It says this, they ministered to the Lord and they fasted and the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul. They said, uh, the Holy Ghost said, it's time for Barnabas and Saul to be sent out. I'm going to separate them because I have a purpose for them. And so they, 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 they sent them out as these first missionaries. Now, a lot of times we talk about missions and we talk about missionaries, but it's interesting that those words are not in the Bible. Uh, the word missionary is never used in, in scripture. Uh, the word mission comes from a Latin word, uh, missio, which means this, to send. And so a missionary, therefore, is someone who is sent. And so as believers, since we are all sent, that means we are all missionaries. And so last week we learned that we're all in the ministry, and this week we learned that we are all missionaries, okay? And so this is our calling, this is our assignment, we have been sent, and so this church was sending. I've heard someone say, and pastors say, that you can't measure the strength of a church by its seating capacity, but rather by its sending capacity. Because really it's not about how many people come in on Sunday, it's about how many people go out Monday through Saturday representing and being ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And so it's all about sending out into our community. I want to encourage you today to send out 
out some invitations this week to Fall Fest and to send out some good news and to send out the gospel message uh, as much as we possibly can. I love what uh, Henry Martin said. He said, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. And the nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we must become. I just love that thought. The spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. And the nearer we get to him, the, the closer that we get to God, the more intensely missionary we must become. See, when we really get to know Jesus and when we really are growing in our relationship with God, we're not going to see our neighbors as a nuisance. We're going to see them as an opportunity. We're not going to see our coworkers as someone that, people that irritate us or get on our nerves. We're going to see them as opportunities to share the gospel message because the closer we get to God, the more intensely missionary we must become. And so this church was, was sending, but they were also serving. It says, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work. Everybody say the work. Separate them for the work. This was a challenge to, to serve. See, the ministry often takes work. See, we will go great lengths often to serve ourselves, but how often are we willing to go the extra mile to serve the Lord and to work for the cause of the ministry? I love what Adoniram Judson, or excuse me, David Livingston, he was a Scottish missionary to Africa. He said this, people talk of the sacrifice I've made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice, which is simply paid back as a small part of a great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay? It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege, anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be hereafter revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not to talk. When we remember the great sacrifice which he made, who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. See, everyone said, you're making such great sacrifices for the cause of Christ. And what did he say? It's my privilege. It's my privilege to do the work of the ministry. And the Holy Ghost said, as they ministered, as they were devoted in worship and ministering to the Lord and worshiping the Lord, then the Holy Ghost gave them direction and said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul. So they were sending, but then they were also serving. But then uh, I see uh, a third characteristic in verse number three, and that is that they were fasting. And when they had fasted, now uh, fasting is the practice of withholding something from ourselves so that we can devote attention and prayer and time with God. It's abstaining from a food or a certain things so that we can focus on God. And, and uh, there's several different ways that you can fast. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes it's fasting from Netflix or media or, or social media. And we, we are abstaining from these things so that we can uh, devote prayer and attention to God. And as we approach Fall Fest, even there are many people in our church that are going to be fasting this week uh, leading into Fall Fest. And we're going to be with holding something, whether it's uh, uh, TV time or social media or food or something, uh, withholding so that we can devote that time in prayer and dedication to God. Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites. By the way, when ye fast, so sometimes fasting, we think, oh, that's for that group or that's for the really committed. Well, really, all of us as Christians should uh, practice uh, fasting. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto, the, unto men to fast, but unto the Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And so Jesus says, when you fast, don't make it a big deal and say, hey, look at me, everybody get the, give me the attention because I'm fasting. He says, do it in secret and the Father will reward you in public. And so this, this church, these leaders, they were, they were sending and they were serving and they were fasting, but also they were praying. It says, and when they had fasted and prayed and they 
lay their hands on them. They sent them away. And it's encouraging. If you were to come uh, the last couple weeks at 930 in the morning, you would see uh, a group of people walking over every single seat, praying that God would do something great at Fall Fest because we want to prioritize the power of prayer. And so every single seat in this room for the last two weeks has been individually prayed over because we're asking God to do the miraculous in that space. This church was devoted in worship. They said, we've got to be sending, we've got to be serving, we've got to be fasting, we've got to be praying. Ephesians 6, 18 says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. And so we see this model of this healthy church and they were devoted in their worship. Now notice what happens in verse number four. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And so I believe we have a map this morning uh, kind of, of of where they were going. They were in Antioch of Syria and from there they uh, sailed out from Seleucia and they went to this island of Cyprus and they came to uh, Salamis there at Cyprus. And Cyprus was uh, this island uh, occupied and controlled by Roman government and uh, it had upwards of one million people on this island. It was nicknamed the Happy Island because People like the climate. They like the easy lifestyle. And so this is where uh, Paul, Saul, and Barnabas, they sent out on their first missionary journey, and they come to Cyprus. Notice verse number five. And when they were at Salamis, so uh, Salamis there uh, on the east side of the island, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. And so we see that uh, John Mark, uh, the same John that wrote the gospel of Mark, uh, he was there uh, to their minister. He tagged along with them. And so we see that they come to Salamis. Now, this brings us to our third indicator of people who have been sent. Here it is. Are you with me this morning? They are ready for resistance. The third indicator of someone who is sent, they are ready for resistance. And we're about to see that uh, this uh, team uh, that went out and was sent out, they were met with resistance. And I was thinking about that this week. And I remember uh, when God was putting it on Katie and I's heart to come and start a church in Fontana. And uh, we came about two years ago. We moved to the city and uh, we had a burden in our heart. We had a dream in our heart. We wanted to start this church and we wanted to see people saved and lives change. And we moved out here. And I remember right away we were hit with resistance. And uh, we came and in the first couple of months, our fridge was stolen, our TV was stolen, and uh, uh, we tried to find a venue for the church, and we kept on getting no after no after no. Our first ever practice preview service, our speaker that we were borrowing fell over and broke on the first service. Uh, people, when they heard that we were starting a church in Fontana, they thought we said Montana, and they were wondering uh, why we were going to Montana, really kind of confused where we were going. And uh, right away, we were hit with this resistance. Please hear me. Wherever you've been sent, the enemy has been sent. Wherever God has called you to, just know that the enemy is there as well. And so they had this passion and this burden. We're sent out. We're going to go. We're going to share the gospel. And right away, they encountered this resistance. And we find their resistance in verse number 6. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus. And so uh, we'll talk about uh, this individual Bar-Jesus and uh, this was the resistance that came in and kind of interrupted Paul and Barnabas as they went there. And the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 16.9. I think this is so uh, uh, appropriate for this passage in Acts chapter 13. It says in, in 1 Corinthians 16.9, For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. And I've always thought that verse is interesting because I always feel like the word and is unique because it should sound like it should say but. For a great door, effectual is opened unto me, but there are many adversaries. But instead it says, and, 
Why? Because every opportunity will also have opposition. There's a great door open. God has this great door of opportunity. And guess what? There also will be adversaries. Because wherever you've been sent, the enemy has been sent. Listen, we have a great opportunity next week for Fall Fest. And just mark it down. There's going to be some opposition. There's going to be some obstacles. But people that are sent, they're ready for that resistance. And so we see that uh, Saul and Barnabas, they come to Paphos, which is on the west side of the island, and they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus. Now, this, this man was very deceptive. And often when it comes to the resistance, the opposition that we face in life, it's very deceiving by nature. Because Bar-Jesus, his name meant the son of salvation, the, the, the son of Jesus. And in Hebrew culture, if you called yourself the son of something, it meant that you were a follower of that person. And so this man, who was a false prophet, uh, he was a sorcerer, he gave himself the name of Bar-Jesus because on all outward appearances, it looked like he was believing the message of Jesus. Yeah, I, I can do this little sorcery over here, and I believe this over here, and I'll kind of add Jesus into the mix. And I want to tell you that so many people do that today. And Jesus is not meant to be a component of our faith. He's the very center of our faith. It's not Jesus plus a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so this man, Bar-Jesus, was deceptive, and he was putting off the uh, persona that, that he was a follower of Jesus when really he was teaching the complete opposite of what Jesus taught. Matthew 7, verse 15 says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And so we see this man, this resistance. Notice verse number 7 which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. And so then we're introduced to another character, Sergius Paulus. He was kind of like the proconsul, the governor of the island. He was the man in charge of Cyprus. And uh, he was with uh, this man, Bar-Jesus. And so Saul and Barnabas, they get to the east, the west side of the island, Paphos, and there uh, they meet Bar-Jesus. And he was with Sergius Paulus, the, 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 the main man in charge of the entire uh, island. And this man was a man that was wise. And he had uh, everything that the world could have to offer. He was a man of position and power and possessions, but he was lacking one thing, contentment for his soul. He desired to hear the word of God. Something was missing. Something was not quite right. He, he, he desired to hear the word of God. And I think it's interesting and fascinating that Sergius Paulus did not have a desire to see a new trick. He did not have a desire to be entertained. He didn't say, wow, Bar-Jesus is here. He can do some pretty cool magic tricks and he can perform some pretty cool sorcery. Let's watch that. No, he had a desire to hear the word of God. And I believe that deep down in our community, people have a longing for truth. They don't want to be entertained. They don't want to just simply be pat on the back. No, they want to know, hey, what's the truth about life and death? What's the truth about eternity? What's the truth about Jesus? Was he really God? And, and was he uh, really the savior? They want to know the truth. And I want to tell you this morning that we have the truth of the gospel and we know the truth about Jesus. And it's not our job to sit on the truth. It's our job to go and be sent and tell people about the truth because deep down they desire for truth. Sergius Paulus, he had seen it all. He had seen entertainment. He had seen tricks, but he didn't want that. He wanted to know the truth. And so Saul and Barnabas, they make their way to Sergius Paulus and, and uh, he had this desire to hear the word of God. But then watch what happens next in verse number eight. But Elimus, the sorcerer, which was his name by interpretation, he withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. 
And so just as Saul and Barnabas are getting ready to share the gospel and to preach the good news of Jesus and tell him about the resurrected Jesus and about how he can have a relationship with him and how he can have a home in heaven, then Elimus, a bar Jesus, he stands in between them and he withstood them. This great resistance. I remember one time I was at a youth camp and I was standing in the back and it was kind of the invitation time of the service. The preacher had just got done and he was calling people forward and he said, if you need to be saved, if you need to accept Jesus Christ as your savior, now is the time. Come forward and we'll explain from the Bible how you can know you have a home in heaven and just come forward right now. If you don't know that you're saved, just, uh, just come on forward. And I'll never forget this girl uh, got out of her seat and she started to walk down the aisle when her friend grabbed her arm and pulled her back in. She was, withstood her. She said, no, I don't want you to hear that. I don't want you to go. You need to stay here right with me. And I want to tell you that as we go out into our community and as we do our best to share the gospel and invite people, we're going to experience resistance because the devil hates what we're doing. There's going to be some resistance, but people that are sent, they're ready for resistance. And so this man was, was determined to stop them. I love what the Bible says in, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 6, so that we may boldly say, everybody say boldly. We can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. God is my helper. He's by my side. And so people that are sent, they are ready for resistance. And then I see uh, the fourth indicator. We'll be done this morning. The fourth indicator of someone who has been sent, they rise to the occasion. And so they experienced this opposition. It wasn't easy. They had some resistance, but then they rose to the occasion now, notice verse number nine in our text. Then Saul, who is also called Paul. The first time Saul is called Paul in the New Testament. He was filled with the Holy Ghost. And so what happens next is, is as Elimus, you can kind of picture the scene. You have Sergius Paulus and his gang that was kind of standing there. And then you have Saul and Barnabas. They're standing here. They're getting ready to preach to him. And then you can imagine Bar-Jesus stands in between them. Now watch what Paul does and how he kind of just rose to the occasion. And he demonstrates how we can also rise to the occasion by demonstrating a couple things. First, he was filled. He was filled with the Holy Ghost. And if we want to uh, encounter the resistance in our lives, and if we want to uh, get victory over the resistance, we have to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And watch, uh, uh, watch what he does. He's filled with the Holy Ghost, and, and uh, uh, he has this courage to uh, withstand him and to uh, stand against what he's saying because he was filled. And Ephesians 5.18 says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. See, if we're going to change the world, if we're going to change our community, if we're going to make a difference, we can't do it in our own strength. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't do it in and of ourselves. We've, we've got to be filled. See, at the moment of salvation, if you prayed and accepted Jesus Christ, you were indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. That means the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Uh, and so we were indwelled with the Holy Spirit, but now we must be filled on a daily basis. And so often we're not filled with the Holy Spirit because we're filled with something else. We're filled with sin. We're filled with our own ideas. We're filled with our own agenda. We're filled with what we want to do. And so there's no room for the Holy Spirit to work and operate. But the Bible says that Paul was filled with the Holy Ghost. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, quench not the Spirit. The word quench means to extinguish. And so often we're fired up. We're ready to go. Yeah, let's go change the world. And we're ready to do this. We're ready to reach people. We're ready to do what God wants us to do. But then we allow sin or pride or something to infiltrate our lives and we extinguish the work of the Spirit. And so Paul was filled with the Holy Ghost. And then watch this. Then he set his eyes on him. 
I love this. I kind of picture they had this intense, like, stare down with each other, right? They're, like, kind of having a staring contest. And uh, Paul was not only filled, but he was focused. A lot of times when we encounter problems and difficulties and resistance, we want to look the other way. We want to look down. We don't want to look at our problems. We don't want to think about our problems. But Paul looked at it head on and said, no, God's got something else in store. He rose to the occasion. He didn't back down and cower away, but he rose to the occasion because he was filled, because he was focused. There's an author, Ken Blanchard, who talks about having focus in life. And and in fact, he's so focused about his calling that he literally wrote out his obituary because he wants it to be a constant reminder of who he's supposed to be in life. He's focused. This is what I'm going to do. And this week as we go out, we've got to be focused. We've got to say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. And and, and I've got to be focused on the things that you want me to do and focused on this assignment that you've given me. So he was filled. He was focused. But then uh, I want you to see he was also fierce. Everybody say fierce. He was fierce. He was ferocious. Look at verse number 10. And he said, oh, fool of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil. Tell us how you really feel, Paul. Thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? He was saying, stop teaching that false doctrine. Stop trying to pervert and, 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 and carry on this name of Bar Jesus when you're really teaching uh, blasphemy. And so he says, you're trying to pervert it. Notice verse number 11. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. And so Paul was fierce. He was filled. He was focused. He was fierce. He said, this is how it's going to be. He didn't back down. He didn't cower in fear. He rose to the occasion. He was intense. See, a lot of times we like the idea of changing the world, but we don't like the intensity that it requires. It sounds good. Change the world. And then when things get a little intense, I don't know about that. Paul was intense. He didn't let fear hold him back. There's an interesting story about a couple of years ago, there was a man in Bolivia, his name was Thomas Martin, and he was living as a homeless man. He got into drugs and he was kind of living on the streets and and the police found out that he actually inherited $6 million from a distant relative. And when the police went to go to Thomas Martin to tell him that he had inherited the $6 million, he thought that he was in trouble. He thought that he was gonna get arrested and so he ran away. And the police never found him. The $6 million ended up going to his ex-wife. So often we let fear hold us back from the greatest blessings in life. And we let fear keep us from the incredible things that God wants to do in us and through us. And Paul said, I'm not going to let fear hold me back. I'm going to be the opposite of fear. I'm going to be fierce. He was filled. He was focused. He was fierce. And he rose to the occasion. Now, we're almost done, but please don't miss these last couple of thoughts. Not everybody rose to the occasion. In this story, in this passage, not everybody was filled, focused, and fierce. Notice verse number 13. Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, John Mark, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. John said, I don't know about this. I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. This is a little intense for me. See, John was excited to go back in verse 5. He accompanied them. He was like, yeah, let's go. Let's go change the world. He got his suitcase together, and he was excited. This is going to be an adventure of a lifetime. And then when he went, what he experienced did not match what he expected. And so he left. He said, I don't know. This is a little bit more intense than I thought it was going to be. This is a little bit harder than I thought it was going to be. This is a little bit more uncomfortable than I thought it was going to be. And so he missed out on this first missionary journey. He missed out on this incredible moment in history because he wanted to be comfortable. Can I just tell you something? If God has called you to something, to be faithful, to stick to it, 
See, a lot of times we have the faith to step out, but we don't have the faith to stick it out. And John said, I, I don't know about this, and he did not rise to the occasion. When it comes to God's will, we can either rise to the occasion or we can squander the opportunity because we want something that's just a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more our speed, a little bit more convenient. I want to close with this last verse, verse number 12. We skipped it. It says this, Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, he believed. Everybody say believed. He believed being astonished. He was amazed. What was he amazed at? Was he amazed at the miracle that Paul did? Was he amazed at the fierceness? Was he amazed because he was entertained? Was he amazed because this was so dramatic? He was amazed and astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. You know what amazed Sergius Paulus? You know what astonished him? It was the fact that Jesus loved him and the fact that Jesus died for him. And he said, wow, I've never heard this. I've seen all kinds of things. I've been going along with Bar Jesus and I've seen some pretty cool magic tricks, but I've never heard that someone would die for me and someone loved me that much. And I want to tell you that is how we're going to change the world. It's not by entertainment. It's not by some gimmick. It's not by some trick. We're going to change the world with the love of Jesus. The fact that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die die for us. That is amazing love. That is overwhelming love. And it's that love that should motivate us to be sent into our city. He was astonished at the doctrine. Wow, I can't believe this. I love it when you share the gospel with someone for the first time and they, Jesus died for me? I can have a home in heaven? And they're amazed at the gospel message. I wonder when was the last time you were astonished at the gospel? When was the last time you were amazed at what Jesus did for you? Is it something that you've grown accustomed to? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I've heard that before. Or is it something that astonishes you? That's amazing that God sent his son to die in my place. So all I have to do is accept his free gift so I can have a home in heaven. This is amazing. This, this church sent these missionaries out. These men, they turned the world upside down, Acts 17. They accomplished so many things for the glory of God. And I want to encourage you today that we also have been sent into our city to change our city, to, to change our community, not in our own strength, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit and allow God to work through us, to be yielded instruments, to uh, spread the gospel message. A couple of years ago, I was watching a debate on, on TV. It was uh, uh, Ken Ham from the Creation Museum debating Bill Nye, the science guy. Anybody else watch this debate? It was several years ago. And I think both sides were kind of disappointed in how the debate went, but they were debating evolution and creation. And uh, at the end of that debate, I'll never forget, Bill Nye got emotional. And you can probably look it up on YouTube. And, and he got kind of emotional and he said, they were kind of giving their closing statements. And he said, we've got to consider what's at stake. Bill Nye advocating evolution against creation. He said, we've got to consider what's at stake. He said, if America does not raise up scientists and innovators, America will cease to be great. And I remember hearing him say that and thinking, yeah, of course, America, we need scientists, we need innovators, but I can think of something far more life-changing and far more necessary and far more urgent, and that is that people need the gospel message. People don't know that they have a home in heaven. People don't know where they're going to go when they die. Consider what's at stake. Why are we talking about this? What are we doing here? Why are we so passionate about this? Consider what's at stake. If there's really a heaven and if there's really a hell and we believe wholeheartedly that there is, we've got to go out and tell our community. We've got to share this great news of the gospel because we've been sent to our city. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.
Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.